Hi guys and welcome to episode two of the Man of Music podcast with me, Toby Allen. The podcast where we talk to MENA musicians and industry leaders to find out their stories as well as chatting about the region's musical challenges. This week I sat down with David Craig. David is the face of Maze Musica, a Dubai-based music consultancy that looks after hundreds of artists' bookings within the MENA region. In our chat, David and I reminisce about his years in Bonnie, Scotland, how the MENA music landscape has changed over the years, and David gives some fantastic advice on how to get more gigs. So enough of me, let's meet David. Good afternoon and uh, welcome to another edition of the Green Room podcast um, with me, Toby Allen, uh, Nano Music. Um, really humbled and uh, grateful to have an awesome guest on today, um, Mr. David Craig. Welcome. Hello. How are you doing today? Awesome. Awesome. How are you holding up in these um, challenging times? I'm, I think I'm built for isolation, to be honest. I'm, I'm pretty content usually just kind of doing my own thing. So I love company. I love the social aspect of what we do, but I'm, I'm equally happy just kind of doing my thing and working away from home. So I'm, I'm fine. Like the, the fridge is stocked and all good this side. Fantastic. At least you're smiling, which you are awesome. Yeah, okay. yeah. David, just to, just to get the things um, off and running, um, for those that don't know you, um, could you just enlighten us and tell you a little bit about your background before you came um, over here uh, to the Middle East? Uh, yes. I mean, Scotland, um, predominantly DJing for, for a number of years. Um, started off in Aberdeen, was playing kind of Glasgow, Edinburgh, uh, up and down the road in the scene there. Went from there to doing HNC and radio, which kind of brought me brought me into more kind of journalistic route with Blues and Soul magazine, which I did for a number of years. Um, and then uh, bits and pieces online, uh, a couple of different radio stations and one extra. Um, so again, just kind of interviews, Fox Pops, content, um, what else was up to? Uh, I was working kind of Sony Street Team, Tommy Boy. So it, it was just pretty much totally immersed within the music scene. Uh, I was also part of a collective called Urban Scott, um, which was set up initially just to kind of bring the whole scene in Scotland under one umbrella. It was a website at the time, and like 15 years ago, it was relatively new for everybody to have their own website. So like we had artists, singers, dancers, uh, graffiti artists, b-boys, like we had everything on that website and from that we we started putting on our own nights um, just to kind of give people that platform where they could perform and express themselves and get used to playing in front of a crowd as such so um, that that really helped creating a, a scene as such that we kind of built on our own and there, there was so much Kind of collaborations and relationships and friendships that were built out of that. So, I mean, my, I just lived it. I just lived and breathed music for over a decade in Scotland, pretty much. It was, it was a, a kind of a, a mission, I suppose. 
but without even realizing it, it was just a, a passion. It was just a, a, a genuine love for what we did. And there were a lot of people contributed to that scene. Fantastic. So there was no real goal of where you wanted to be. It was just you were immersed in the culture at the time, possibly. Yeah. yeah. No naively, like absolutely, absolutely naively, there was no, no goal at all, which um, there probably should have been at the time. I mean, we put a lot of time and effort and money into it. And, and Urban Scott just kind of, it just evolved um, through its own part from doing small, small showcases to to concerts and international arena gigs. So it, it did kind of grow a momentum of its own and and quite a few artists were kind of born from that and did well professionally and still still are doing bits and pieces today from it. So, um, yeah, but we all pretty much grew up together within that. I can see the cats joining us as well. Oh, there's a dog. <laughs> Excellent. So, yeah, um, that, that, that was pretty much my... Like over a decade and uh, abbreviated there. I like that. Good, good, brief, short version. Right. Um, so, when did you come over to uh, the Middle East? I think it was about um, 2010. Like, I didn't, I didn't move initially. I was just back and forth for the longest time, and then eventually found myself here more than I was at home. And like Why 12 years know? later, I'm, I'm still here. It was I. It was mostly for gigs, like started coming out really? back and forth. Yeah, yeah, just doing gigs, kind of checking the place out. And I, I just felt like the crowd were getting a little bit younger at home. It was, it, a lot of it was based on kind of student nights. Yeah. Um, and I felt like I was getting older and a little bit detached from it. Um, and I think it was winter time. It was around December, the first time I came across here and just sat out in the garden with a friend, had a glass of wine and thought, yeah, time for a move. I could, I could handle this, and also spotted a little bit of potential about what I could do this side as well. That's a great leading question there, because so what, what was the scene like here when you first arrived in two thousand and ten in the Middle East? It, it was relatively, it was relatively small. I mean, for a city of what was it like six six million plus or something here, there wasn't wasn't a huge scene to speak of. There was a lot going on, but. Um, it, it was it was small enough in a sense that you kind of knew most people within it. So there was a there was a nice community. There was a really really nice community feel about the scene then, um, and year on year it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. As you've as you've known, as you've been here as well. Yeah, as it's as it's got bigger, do you think there's still the community? I mean, I'm not obviously trying to berate any uh, berate any industry, um, but naturally, is it has it got bigger? Is it got sh is it shrinking a little bit? Is it peaked? Uh, what do you what, what what do you think? Is there is there, is it too many pockets now, or do you still? I think I think, I think inev inevitably, if someone gets as big as it is now, I mean, you you kind of break off into your little niches, and it's impossible to to see everybody when you're doing your own thing. So you do kind of get caught up in whichever group or whichever venues you're playing or whichever places you're working with. So um, me personally, I don't really have as much time as I did previously to be sociable. It's, it's kind of just head down and get on with the work. So um, that's changed a little bit from my perspective. But I, like a lot of the guys that we work with, they are still quite sociable and out kind of five, six nights a week and mm -hmm. they're hanging out and stuff. So... I think it's probably me that's changed along with the yeah. scene, if you know what no, I mean. Yeah, totally. Like I've, I've, I've got a little bit older and my focus is not 
not kind of being out and about as much as it was. It's uh, it's more behind the scenes with the agency and and uh, with the venue now. So um, my my life's a wee bit different than it was ten years ago when I arrived. I can totally relate to that. And you're doing great for these questions for me. You're, you're doing a good job for me leading on. Agency, <laughs> no. Um, you're known as uh, uh, the face-off, maybe. Um, would you like to explain your agency? Um, what is yeah, it? How, yeah, did it I mean, how did it come about? What, what, was it, what solutions were you trying to solve? Initially, um, we started it uh, just because we needed a visa. It was myself and, and Marco Smoking Groove that, that kicked it off in about 2013. Um, we were doing a night called Shibuya with Mike and Rax at the basement, and we, we needed a trade license for that. So there was not really any initial forethought went into it. We needed a visa, we needed a, a company to trade, and yeah. then we kind of found our, found our way from then. Um, we were fairly active kind of promoting nights and we were already referring people for work in hotels, getting gigs for people and we thought, try and get that bit more structured and form it into a, a kind of agency as such. But it, it took a while because we were still trying to DJ full time. Um, and that was the issue. Trying to run a company and, and essentially DJ five nights a week wasn't, wasn't productive. It just wasn't happening. So it wasn't until I made the decision to kind of take a step back from the DJ and go full time with the company that, that things started to, to move and the company started to grow as such. Um, and uh, I mean, we just, we just thought there's a little gap in the market for for to come in and kind of manage things a little bit more professionally and and kind of do things from an artist's point of view as opposed to a venue's point of view and we we're all we're all DJs I mean John's a DJ as well he's he's working with us new partner um, so we understand from an artist's point of view also a venue owner so I understand like the needs of a venue as well so I think we're fairly well equipped to try and try and find something that works for, for each party. Awesome. Can I ask you just to quickly explain uh, for those who are not necessarily, who are outside the UAE, um, just the different types of gigs and how the, the ideally like how the clubs operate in hotels is. Um, so obviously how does that work for, for artists over here? Um, yeah, everything runs, well, most, most things run through a hotel as such. So, more often than not, you're either dealing with the, the hotel themselves or an independent venue within the hotel. So um, that, that's pretty much how things are set up here. And your, your options as an artist are either to be freelance or to be a resident, or essentially a staff member within the, the hotel itself. So we usually take care of the, the contractual side and, and handle payment and just make sure both parties are happy with the, with the, with the placement itself. That's awesome. So, um, how the um, do you think that the bookers or there's the old argument I was trying to get to is hotels? Do they know musicians and do they value musicians? Meaning that our food and beverage managers who are in charge of booking the entertainment do they really understand uh, the skill sets and the work of artists and musicians? Here. I would say some, some more than others. It, it just depends uh, what experience and what background they've got. 
like you, you hit the nail on the head. Most of them are coming from like an F&B culinary background. So entertainment's not not their first priority and um, they're not always that knowledgeable about what, what they're looking for us. And finance tend to get involved in quite a lot of the decision making as well. So it's not always the the most competent act that gets booked. It's sometimes the most economical option. So it's up to us sometimes to guide them in the right direction when it comes to something that fits for the venue and something that's going to benefit them. So that, that's kind of our job as well, to find, to find the right talent for the right venue. And usually we've got a pretty good relationship with the people that we're working with and, and they'll, they'll go with a recommendation more often than not on something as opposed to just the, the cheapest option, which a lot of venues, which aren't that knowledgeable about requirements, will usually go for. It's a tough one, isn't it? With for artists, it seems like the uh, the payments side of things. And um, what can an artist do? Or what, let's just let's go back and say. So you you mentioned something about the hotels. What do they look for in general? Is it just um, finances? Or you said, is there anything that an artist can do to enhance getting booked? Yeah, I, I think they've got, to, they've got to approach it professionally. Like It's got to be polished. The whole thing's got to be... Um, it's, it's got to look the part and sound the part. So your press kit, for example, we're receiving sometimes 50, 60, 100 emails a day and applications for jobs. So you've not got that much time to look through everything that comes in. So pretty much you're looking for a clean photograph, um, good audio on some showreel. Um, it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be too polished, but I need to hear how you sound. And a, a short abbreviated bio, even some bullet points is fine because it's going to be a minute, two minutes, and you're flying through these things. Interesting. So I think, I think from that point of view, you need to be, you need to set your soul out professionally because we're seeing hundreds of these things. We, we, kinda, we sort them into a shortlist and, and pick what we think is the best options and usually send them on to, to the client or the hotel or whatever it is. And, and similarly, they're not going to spend that much time on it. So when it comes to your show reel, nobody's going to listen to three minutes or four minutes of a song. Just verse and chorus, three, four songs, whatever you think is relevant to the job and... I, my personal opinion, that's all you need. And and I do see like the ones that have got great showreel and good solid press kits are the ones that get the job more often than not. Interesting. How important is it for an artist to be pr- promoting where they work? Is it uh, is it part of their job? Do you think, uh, or is it down to the promoters? It's not essentially part of your job, but it's expected by a venue. And it's up to you, either do it or don't do it. But you'll find more often not the ones that do it and have got an audience that are engaged and are promoting gigs will be the ones that will get retained in contracts or they'll be the most popular when it comes to getting gigs easily. Um, People, I think, are getting a little bit off looking at like Facebook and looking at Twitter and looking at Instagram numbers as such. I, I think that's... That's so? hopefully, I think. That's good. Yeah. Some, some venues still ask. It's not, not like it used to be. I think most people are wise to the fact that these things can be bought. So 
Um, for me, more, more important than numbers is the, the engagement that you've got and, and the presence that you've got. And, and right now, a time like now where you can either be sitting on your arse at home or you can be streaming live or, or figuring out ways to, to stay relevant and connect, that, that differentiates two different kinds of people as well. How do you think, what, what can artists do, do you think, um, as you say, stay relevant? What are the type of things that could be attractive in, let's say, your eyes as, a, as an agency owner when you're looking at artists going, yeah, they're, they're keeping their presence up? What, is there anything out there that's... Um, yeah, I think... Um, just in general? Even just the basics, like going live, streaming, I think you, you need to be doing that. You, you still need to be kind of reaching out and letting people know you're you're here, like behind the scenes stuff. I mean, even as, as simple as this is now, like a, some sort of Zoom connection, doesn't even have to be you singing. You could be you producing, you arranging, just you at home telling a story. I think just, just, just try and stay relevant in one way or another. Awesome. How do you think that uh, the industry is going to go for musicians in the next in the next where this, you know, who knows when this is going to be over. But um, do you think it's going to be a, a big detrimental effect uh, to uh, musicians' careers? And is there anything do you think that they can do in order to... I think inevitably, like, from a performance point of view, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's going to be a while before we get back to anything that resembles any sort of normality. For venues, um, I think they're going to be saving money and cutting costs and probably one of the first things to go will be entertainment. And I don't think we're going to be seeing group gatherings for bigger events for a long time to come yet. So, yeah, I, I think the people are going to have to start looking at different revenue streams, essentially, to, different skill to set supplement set. their income. If, if you're a performer and that's all you do, um, I can see it being tough, I, 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 you know, especially over the next year. I think it's yeah, really tough sure. unless you're not making any ideas. I mean, there are ways to utilize, um, you know, sell services, do educational courses. You know, I was, I was talking to a lovely singer, I won't mention on here, um, and just doing singing course to kids, um, you know, ringing up mum, friends with mums and just saying, can I just should we do a singing course for free? And then if it's really enjoyable, yeah. then I'll do another one, but maybe, you know, a hundred bucks for five or whatever it is, you know, it's just generating something, using your skills in different ways rather than just relying on that performance. And you can do I, so I, much nowadays. You can do. Yeah, I, th I, th I think people are just going to have to be, like you say, resourceful and, and figure out different ways in the, in the meantime until we, we get back to where we were before. If you were an artist, what do you think there could be five, three, four, five things, advice that you would give artists um, in order to generate, uh, to get more gigs? Like the obvious thing is perfect your craft. Like always strive to be better. That's, that goes without saying. You should be practicing daily and um, always refreshing your set lists and be consistent when you're performing. Because essentially every single performance, there's going to be somebody watching that that more often than not will likely be interested, spread the word, might be, might be a booking agent. Most of, most of our gigs come from word of mouth and, and referral, and that's because we, we just try and maintain 
quality as much as possible. And I mean, it's repeat business. Oh, one sec, that's my niece trying to get me on FaceTime. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's all repeat business and referral. And that that's from consistency and, and consistently delivering. So I think from an artist's perspective, every single performance needs to be spectacular. And what in that performance, that's great advice. What in that performance are you actually talking about? Um, from a venue's perspective, like when we're booking people in the, in the bar, I, I just want... I want enthusiasm and I want engagement. I want, I want somebody to step in there and be convincing. I mean, obviously, day in, day out, it's a job like any other job and the days when you're not going to be as up for it as you are others, but essentially, you, you, need to, you need to hit it out of the park every single time you're up there. But do you say DJing and getting your mobile phone out throughout the I, constantly? Uh, I, I know you need to be online and you need to you need to do that part of it, but I, the worst thing for me, the worst possible thing for me is seeing somebody who looks bored or is, is on their phone during a performance. Even, to be honest, even a laptop, DJs using laptops, I, I just don't want to see somebody looking at a laptop for, for two, three hours. I just want to see somebody with a head up engaging people. Smiling. Yeah, and I mean... Simple. You, if you're... If, if you're not enjoying it, how do you expect other people to get into it? If you're up there, even for streams as well, I'm, I'm watching DJ streams. It sucks the soul out of me watching some people looking bored in their in their apartment. Like I don't, I don't understand it. If you don't really want to be there, if you're not enjoying it, then probably. Don't but do you it. think some people actually? It's a good point actually, and I'm going to sit on the fence on this. Um, some people, artists, um, having dealt with them for near on twenty years. And being one ex-musician myself, sometimes musicians like to be, um, are not always outgoing, but they let music talk for themselves and their protective barrier are the decks, especially like if you're in front of crowds and things. Um, do you, does it mean, do, do artists, if you don't naturally have to smile, does it mean that they're not enjoying themselves? Uh, I, I don't, it's not even in a smile, I think it's, it's a lot more than that in the, one, there's one guy in particular I remember, Amp Fiddler, the first time I saw him at the Arches, quietest guy in the world before the gig, like hard to get a word out of him. But as soon as he stepped on the stage, he wasn't smiling, but he, he just owned it. He was convincing and you were part of the performance. It wasn't just somebody up there singing and performing. He, he made you as an audience part of it. And then as soon as he stepped off the stage, he shrunk back into himself again and just became that, that quiet guy. So... It's, you need to be convincing as, a, as an artist, I think. Mm. This is your profession. Mm. Mm. People paying money to come and see you, it's not, you need to deliver. It's not just a case of getting up there and going through the motions. That's my opinion anyway. Yeah, 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 no, 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 it's valid, valid. Is there anything else to add to those tips? So you would like your performance, be consistent. I think obviously like the social media, which you touched upon as well, that's, unfortunately part of the process now as well you need to need to know how to what are they looking at yourself. what are venues looking at if they are looking at social media what platforms is it your standard facebook and your instagram or is facebook dying are they looking at tiktok now or what what what's your feedback on that i i, I think for them they just want to see they don't understand they don't necessarily understand the the engagement part of it but they just want to see 
their stuff out there. They want to see pictures of their venue. They want to be tagged in things and, and just see that you're actively promoting them. We, we do still get inquiries in for corporate stuff where they want like certain not certain amount of fans and followers and all that nonsense. And we try and try and educate them a little bit on that side of things. But for more often than not, for the residency gigs and the, the run-of-the-mill things, they, they just want to see that you're actively promoting stuff without being told to do it. With and again, when you're promoting something, you can you can find a clever way to promote it. You can find an interesting way to promote it, or you can just tag a picture and go through the motions. It's it's up to you. Like be be. Be creative with it. Be proactive. I mean, we, we're an agency. You don't need us. What's to stop you knocking on every single door, going to every single club owner, promoter, connecting with all the DJs? I, I mean, from my, from my perspective, as well as using agencies and utilizing that part of it, go and do your own thing. Like, don't wait for things to happen. Be proactive. I think that's the best advice I can give people. Love that. I love that. Um, David, thank you so much. I just wanted a couple of finalise. Is there anything that I really valued everything that you said there and I thought there's some great information. Is there anything that you would like to have add as part of May Musica, uh, what you do, anything that I missed that you might want to uh, give to the audience? Um, just from, from our point of view, I mean, keep in touch regularly. Just phone call, a message, an SMS, like follow up on jobs. If you've applied for something, just be, be present and be the squeaky wheel. I mean, it's, it's, the ones, it's the ones that make the most noise that are always at the forefront of your mind. Don't, don't feel shy or don't be ashamed about pushing for things. Like just be assertive and, and always make sure you're in people's minds. Excellent. Is there... Are you taking on new artists or are you always looking for new artists? Uh, Absolutely, always. And, and I, I reply as best I can to every single email. So can I just whatever you do. genres, you, you cover everything? Are you performers? Yeah. yeah, everything across the board, yeah. All types um, of genres, all uh, performances, artists, musicians. Sure. Yeah, we've got, we've got everyth everything Fair. from... I was going to say, where can get in touch with you? Um, David at micemusica, M-A-I-S-M-U-S-I-C-A dot A-E. You can, you can find me there. And in social media? Uh, yeah, everything's pretty much micemusica, DXB on social, and DJ David Craig on Mixcloud, Instagram, Facebook, everything else. I'm not going to TikTok. I'm that, I've, I've drawn the line of TikTok. <laughs> Too old for TikTok. You're not going to see me learning any new dance moves and, and putting them up. But I, I understand from an artist's point of view, you, you've got to do what you've got to do. But yeah, I'm, I'm leaving it there. David, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Lovely chatting to you, Toby. Well, that's all for today's episode of the Man and Music podcast. Thank you so much for listening and a big thank you to David for joining me. If you liked this episode, then please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. This is so you never miss an episode. I'd really appreciate a little review as this really helps to spread the message of help across the Middle East and North Africa region. Lastly, if you want to join the region's thriving music community and learning hub, then head over to Lab Musica Facebook page. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, 
Take care and keep safe.